All right, uh, so as some of you guys know, but not all of you, we are in a series called Salt and Light, and, and really this is a series about how the church impacts culture. Uh, how do we represent Jesus well in the world we find ourselves in? 2022, San Diego, as a story church, how is Jesus calling us specifically to manifest his love, reflect his light, uh, and kind of change the environment we are connected to? And there's a couple different ways to do that. We'll get into it in the following weeks. Um, but today, uh, I wanted, really wanted Maria to preach. If you guys don't know Maria, uh, say hi, Maria. Yeah. Uh, Maria is a missionary who's on a kind of a long-term furlough. Uh, and she's, yeah, she'll be leaving in January. She's been here two years unexpectedly. Um, but, but basically she has a huge heart for evangelism, a huge heart for seeing people come to know Jesus that do not know Jesus. Uh, one of my things that it's, it, it's part of what drove me to plant this church, uh, but also just breaks my heart in an ongoing way pastorally is when I meet people who have no idea who the real Jesus is and they hate him. Uh, I remember I heard one guy used to talk about the idea of like, like, the church has done a good job of not representing Jesus well in such a way that it's inoculated people to the claims of Christ. Almost like a vaccine theoretically should keep you from getting sick. Um, it's kept them from like really receiving. They're like, oh, I already know. Like their bodies start, you know, their, their uh, you know, spiritual immune system. Came, oh, I know what this is. I, they, you know, they, they just want to use you. They just want your money. They don't care about you. Uh, they're mean. They're judgmental. It's not safe. All those things. Uh, if they've had a really bad experience. Those experiences are valid and they, they do kick up. Um, but so often I want people to go, man, if you knew the real Jesus, if you knew what the church should be, it's a, it's a breathtakingly beautiful thing. And, uh, and so this morning, uh, just want to make sure it wasn't like a situation. Uh, this morning, uh, I thought, man, who better to have up here than someone who actually has given their life to want to take the gospel to another space and place to introduce people to Jesus in urban India. Uh, and so we are going to be kicking off a thing called Alpha. Uh, and some of you guys know about it. We tried to do it two years ago in the pandemic hit, and it's all about getting together in groups with food to discuss, which was like just rough. So we were two weeks into that series, and we bailed on it. Um, but as we were thinking about re-kicking it off, and we knew Maria was going to be here a uh, longer term for an internship type thing this year, I said, man, I would love to have you lead Alpha. Uh, it's a chance to lead something in our community, but also you already have a heart for this. You care about this. You do this well. And so as a woman who has a real gift of hospitality, which is the heartbeat behind Alpha, um, and an evangelistic heart clearly to go. And so I asked her to preach this morning on this. So I just wanted to pray for her. Um, but as she speaks, I know some of you guys have already heard the Alpha spiel before. Uh, I want to say a couple things. One, uh, don't go, ah, I'm above that. Okay. Uh, again, we, we, we need this. It's important to, to, to remember why we're doing this. Uh, number two, it's not a normal sermon uh, from the perspective of we're not working through a book of the Bible. Again, it's a thematic series. We're kind of casting vision for how Jesus interacts with people uh, and then inviting you into that today. So it's a little bit different than a full-on, you know, verse-by-verse sermon. Uh, that's by design. Okay. That's not what we think should be every week. I don't think healthy churches are built on, that, on this type of message every week. But healthy churches do have messages like this from time to time. So without further ado, I wanted to pray, uh, pray for you and uh, dive in to continue our series. Um, Father, I thank you for Maria. I thank you for her um, sent heart, her missionary heart, uh, her heart to, see, uh, to go to people that they might come to Jesus. And so uh, this morning, um, God, I pray that you would just calm her, someone who's not up here all the time that she would know that she's in the presence of family. She's not up here to perform. And more importantly than that, she's in the presence of her father, a father who rejoices over her regardless of her performance, a father who cheers for her, and a father that's given her brothers and sisters that are in this room. And so I pray, God, that she would just share a little bit of the father's heart with her brothers and sisters. Now that's all it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, guys. 
So like Andy said, my name is Maria, and I'm part of the staff team intern here at Resort Uptown. And um, to, so normally, as a church, we teach through books of the Bible expositionally and verse by verse, but for a few weeks, we are actually doing a thematic series called Salt and Light. So this series is rooted in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, where he compares the church, his community, to salt and Thank you. And what we have talked about is that salt changes the flavor of the food that it touches, and light brings clarity to the things hidden in darkness. So in other words, salt and light impact the things that come into contact with them. So based on Jesus' teaching, we are asking the question, what is the impact that we should be having as the church on the world around us? And how does he call us to make that kind of impact practically? So today we're starting something of a mini-series within the series. And this past couple of weeks, we've established that the church is salt and light. And moving forward, we're going to talk about how we can practically be salt and light. So in the coming weeks, we're going to discuss different ways that we can be salty, like our work on vocation, our parenting, marriage, or singleness, or seeking of justice, our living of a transformed life, our hospitality, eating and drinking with friends, and our pursuit of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And these are all different aspects of being salt and light in the world. Now, however, today we're going to focus on a different one, and it's one that gets a pretty bad rap. That's right, we're talking about evangelism. And evangelism is the act of telling people, other people, the good news about Jesus. So evangelism can be tough. Someone once said that there are two types of people who don't like evangelism. The first group are Christians, and the second group is literally everyone else. (laughs) And that's right. Too often, evangelism is awkward for just everyone involved. On a serious note, I think that that is naturally true for most of us. So today, I want to lay out the topic of evangelism and introduce us to a new initiative for 2022 that we are launching in a couple weeks that we think will help you reach your friends, your coworkers, your family members by walking through three questions today. The first is, why is attempting to introduce people to Jesus so hard for us? And then second, why should we introduce people to Jesus? And thirdly, how can we introduce people to Jesus here in San Diego? So let's get straight into our first question. Why is attempting to introduce people to Jesus so hard for us? So if you have Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when he, meaning Jesus, entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat, on which the paralytic was lying, and seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So these guys did everything they could to bring their friend to Jesus. They tore the roof off, literally, to get to him. So why don't we do this? Why does it feel so hard for us to bring people to Jesus in 2022? There are a few reasons. One reason is because of increased opposition from culture. We are now considered a post-Christian society. We have gone from the center of culture to the fringe of culture. We have been demoted from the respected to the disrespected. The church has moved from being a place where people would go to teach their kids morality to a place whose morality they want to protect their kids from. Followers of Jesus have gone from being like the goody two-shoes of society, kind of boring and prude, to being what's wrong with society, closed-minded and bigoted. A way to think about this is Christians in the public sphere went from being like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, the Oakley Doakley guy, uh, like the neighbor guy, nerdy, kind of boring, moral, but like really kind, to Angela from The Office, like mean, angry, and hypocritical. And knowing that people might already have these preconceived ideas about who we are can keep us from wanting to share it with them. And the other reason we don't do this is because we can be embarrassed by the practice of evangelism in recent church history. If we're honest, we know that some people have done evangelism in really weird ways. For example, I heard a story recently about a guy who, after reading a book on evangelism, he was so eager to share the gospel that he dialed a random number and he asked the person on the other side, are you ready to die? How scary is that, you guys? <laughs> like, no one should have to go through that, like, ever. <laughs> um, and another reason is what a pastor in L.A. calls the mega church hangover. And here's what I mean by mega church hangover. So many of us met Jesus in big evangelistic churches that we are grateful for. But we often experience them making a huge deal about evangelism while simultaneously downplaying a lot of other things that the New Testament says churches should care about. For example, they often downplayed teaching or theology because it was too boring. They often downplayed social justice issues because they were too controversial. They downplayed deep community and church family life because it's too intense for people, so instead they kept it to shallow small groups. And we don't want to be a part of a church that downplays any of that stuff. And so often there can be this false belief that if a church gets into evangelism, it will become the only thing that we care about as a church. And I want to say that that isn't necessarily true. So those are some reasons that it's hard for us, right? But God cares deeply about evangelism, about, telling, about us telling people about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that created a way for us to be reconciled to the one true holy God. Which leads to our second question. Why should we introduce people to Jesus? So again, our second question is, why should we introduce people to Jesus? And to answer that question, let's read Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. 
And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. So what we see in this parable is that God will do and has done anything to find us. He'll swim through rivers. He will climb mountains. He will give his life away because he is relentlessly in pursuit of us. And people in our lives are far from God. And according to this text, they are lost sheep. They might look fine, but deep down they are insecure, anxious, isolated, addicted, and far from experiencing abundant life, seeking to find meaning in a million things that can never deliver it. Jesus longs to know them, and for some reason he has chosen us and invited us to be a part of introducing people to him. We are God's witnesses. He has made us the salt and light of the world. We, the church, are plan A and there is no plan B. So why tell people about Jesus? Because it's at the very heart of God's passion, purpose, and priority for our world. So what I want to talk about today is, is there a way to do evangelism without being a jerk? To do it with emotional intelligence, rationally, relationally, kindly, is there a way to tell people about Jesus and still have friends? And I think it is possible to share Jesus in a way that makes sense today and is faithful to the gospel message. So this is what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. Our third question, how do we plan on telling people about Jesus in San Diego, particularly in Uptown in 2022? So in the New Testament, we see that sharing the message of the gospel, the idea of introducing to people to Jesus, never changes. But the methods of how we share the gospel should be constantly changing. We never change the gospel, but we do need to ask how to communicate the gospel with our culture in a way that they understand. So we actually see several different ways of communicating the gospel in the book of Acts alone. So let me give you two examples of this. In Acts 2, Peter at Pentecost, when speaking to a bunch of Jewish people familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, he preaches a sermon. He shows them how their scripture spoke of Jesus and how in that very moment, as he preached, it was fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. So again, when with religious non-believers familiar with scripture, he essentially preaches a sermon and then gives an altar call. Very like youth camp style. And then in Acts 17, we see Paul in Athens, Greece, speaking to a non-Jewish audience at the Council of Philosophers, where he presents an apologetic for the faith without ever quoting the Bible much like Tim Keller and John Lennox or Rebecca McLaughlin do on secular college campuses today. And Tim Keller was actually invited to speak at Google headquarters just a couple of years back. So we see just in the book of Acts, which covers just a few decades of church history, that the gospel message is unchanging, but how it is presented is often changing. 
So what methods do we want to use? They need to change because culture is changing constantly. So we in 2022 America are likely moving from a Peter style of evangelism at Pentecost to a Paul style in Athens. So right now, I want to look at a few slides that describe how culture is changing and how we feel we need to adjust while maintaining the integrity of the gospel. So a pastor from L.A. named Gare Jones shares these slides very generously with people and churches, and they're so, so helpful. So I'm going to share them with you today. So how evangelism has worked at different times in recent church history here in America. So this first slide is around the 50s. I can't see the TV, so I'm going to assume they're working on it. All right, cool. Thanks, Roy. This first slide is around the 50s. So generally, people, even non-Christians, thought that the church had spiritual integrity. Most people just thought they needed to get their life together, and what was keeping them out of church was, I'm too bad, and the church could say, hey, like you are, but Jesus died for you. They just needed a moment of conviction, like, man, I'm a sinner, so I need a forgiver. And because of culture's familiarity with Christianity, they assumed that Jesus was the one who could forgive them. Where will you go when you die was a legitimately helpful question, but probably not over the phone without any context. <laughs> so New Testament scholar D.A. Carson has said that 100 years ago, when someone said that they, that they were an atheist, you could safely assume that the God they didn't believe in was the God of the Bible. So slide two. The second slide is the 70s and the 80s. People still generally thought that the church had spiritual integrity. But when they felt a conviction of sin, they simultaneously were like, wait a minute, like, is this real? So they wrestled with theological, philosophical, and intellectual questions. It was a time of apologetics. Think the case for Christ and things like relevant and practical teaching became important for evangelism in the life of the church. This style of evangelism was prominent in the mega church movement. So that was like the late 70s through the early 2000s. People neglect, needed conviction like in the 50s and 60s, but really they needed evidence. Which leads to my next slide and the new era of evangelism. The third slide is our context today. The cultural current is people running away from the church and Jesus. Following Jesus isn't even an option. People have become more likely to get spiritual counsel from a yoga teacher, their weed dealer, or their essential oils connect. <laughs> today, people don't care about sin and they don't care about what is true. So conviction and evidence alone aren't enough. These people aren't staying away from church because they were too bad. More likely, with the therapeutic self-esteem culture in America, they probably think they are too good for church and that no one should ever say that anything they do is bad. Culture is teaching us to not consider Christianity even when life goes wrong. Jesus just isn't an option. Or it's a deluded down Jesus whose only goal is to help you accomplish your dreams. He came to set you free from your lack of self-esteem that is keeping you from getting your dream job. Most people in this age would say, you do you and I'll do me. So how the heck do you reach a culture like the one we're in now in 2022 San Diego? And I want to show you a slide that breaks down how different these times in history were. So slide four, this slide represents how ripe 
It's good, huh? Someone is to be receptive to the gospel. In the 50s, most people in America were sevens. They were like high, mid, ripeness on this banana scale. You're never going to forget this. It's the best. Um, Most of our evangelistic strategies are for people in the seven to nine, like pretty ripe banana spectrum. But we are in a culture of green bananas. Unfortunately, many churches are still doing conviction evangelism, and we know that it probably won't work. So at the end of lunch with a coworker, someone might say, that was a great taco. Now, real quick, where do you think you will go when you die? And do you by chance have a minute to draw a diagram on this napkin with me? Those strategies might work in other cultures and maybe with your grandparents, but I think Jesus wants to engage way more people than that. So I want to talk about what we can do to introduce people to Jesus and answer our third question. How can we introduce people to Jesus? And the first thing is to be a person of faith. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, aware of every moment within our world. He is present in all places. He is knowing of all things and no thing happens without him allowing it to. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He is God. In other words, he is neither phased nor perplexed nor petrified by the changing cultural currents of our world. God isn't in heaven like, Jesus, this yoga teacher is really good. Her view of life makes so much more sense than yours. And Jesus isn't responding anxiously, pulling out his hair because he's not relevant or compelling enough anymore. There are no emergency meetings being called amongst the Trinity to sort this thing out. God is in perfect peace, unanxiously calling his people to himself in the same way he has always been. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, even in 2022. You are surrounded by people who are spiritually hungry and they have no idea what a good meal tastes like or what it means to eat and never be hungry again, or to drink living water and never be thirsty again. Jesus is and has always been the most compelling person in human history. The church has been a minority group on the fringe before. It's actually how it started. Persecuted in places where it was against the law to evangelize. And with no formal political or financial power, the church took the Roman Empire. Over and over again, over the centuries, God has done these things and he can do it again. The church in post-Christian places like London and New York City is growing exponentially right now. Manhattan has gone from 1% Bible-believing Christian to 5% Bible-believing Christian over the last 25 years. And that might not sound impressive, but 4% of 1.7 million people is around 90,000 people over a 25-year period. That's between four and 5,000 people coming to know Jesus a year. People who are educated, wealthy, intelligent, who go, is this all there is? Just Tim Keller and his crew alone have planted hundreds of churches, made disciples, and done evangelism there for over 25 years. Never mind, like, the whole broader body of Christ. So, guys, we don't have to be afraid. If we open our eyes and look around us, we will find that Jesus is still moving amongst our people, the people at our schools and our work and our neighborhoods. So you can have faith 
and the power of the Spirit as you apply the love of Jesus even in this crazy cultural moment. The second way that you can introduce people to Jesus is by being a provocative friend. You have a pivotal role, as Jesus did, in causing people to be intrigued about Jesus. This is one of the most important things you can do with your whole life. So with new relationships, we start from a place of mistrust. They assume you are intellectually bankrupt, that you hate gay people, that you vote conservative, even if someone contradicts the teaching of Jesus, that the church just wants your money, it wants to get you to stop enjoying your life, and they're going to judge you, and they are boring. It's kind of exhausting. <laughs> Remember, that idea was summed up in the slide where people were running away from Jesus. The only thing that is going to help those people reconsider Jesus is a friend that makes them go, you're different. There's something about you that is different. Different from both everyone around them, you have, you have something I don't, or different from what they had been trained by the news or their mean uncle to assume that Christians were. A provocative friend is a powerful thing. Jesus was a provocative friend. He was a friend of sinners. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we need to be friends of sinners. Don Everts was a campus minister at UCLA to millennials, and he found that it was hard for them to come to Jesus. But one of the but of the ones who did, he wanted to see if there was anything that they could learn from their conversions that might help them tweak their methods without watering down the message of the gospel. And so he interviewed 2,000 millennials who became Christians, and he shares what the vast majority experienced as a process in a book called, I Once Was Lost, What Postmodern Skeptics Taught Us About Their Path to Jesus. And they went through these same five steps. So the first step is trusting a Christian. It's the invisible line between trust and mistrust. So many people, most people, are comfortable with having a Christian friend. It doesn't mean they're going to become a Christian, but it's a huge step in the process. They might think it's sweet, like, I've got an adorable little Christian friend. Kind of like a sweet, non-disruptive pet. Might even introduce you like, this is my sweet little Christian friend. Kind of like this picture. Um, kind of like the way everyone at my house shows off, shows off pictures of our little dude Poppy. They're like, how adorable is he? He's really adorable if the picture comes up, I promise. So the second step is they become curious. So Jesus was a master of provoking curiosity. And the key to introducing pe to people to Jesus is to be a good friend that disrupts their preconceived ideas about the church. They are told Christians do this, but you, you do this. You mess with their heads. The key to good evangelism, you heard it here first, is you mess with people's heads. <laughs> they trust you because you have been an amazing, loving friend. But then you make them curious. So Jesus was also the king of provoking curiosity. Signs and wonders, they make you wonder. Why is Jesus healing people? Why is Jesus loving his enemies? Why is Jesus blessing people who don't agree with them? Why is Jesus my friend? So how can we be provocative friends? I'm about to tell you. We can care. A simple step is to ask if you can pray for them. Do you mind if I pray for you? Like, sure, like, send your good vibes my way, man. 
And then follow up and then ask how things went. First Corinthians says that love remembers. Then you ask if you can help them when needs arise in their lives. If you see needs in their life like moving, ask if you can help. Are they sick, going through treatment? How can I support you? And then you listen to them. How's that family situation going? How is your boyfriend doing? We can also celebrate, throwing parties and sharing our, our gratitude towards them, towards God in their presence. They'll think, I thought religious people were sad and serious all the time. But actually, we have more to be grateful for than anyone who has ever lived. Lives of authentic joy and gratitude. We can enjoy good gifts from God, like alcohol and food, without alcohol or food enjoying us. Some people from Restored um, once threw a party for a girl in this church, actually, and her non-Christian sister-in-law was there with her boyfriend. And at Restored, we tend to honor the person whose birthday it is, say a lot of nice things about them. And so after watching everyone honor the birthday girl, the boyfriend said, if you guys ever want to come to my birthday, and, like say nice things about me, you are welcome. <laughs> But you should be a warm presence at the party, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. Not talk, we're not talking about being loud. Talk, we're talking about being celebratory and grateful. And another way we can be a provocative friend is to communicate. Communicate or share your life with them. And this can be done super organically. Sarah Lewis called this Shema statements, and she preached a whole sermon on it a few weeks ago. And here's what I mean by communicate. You're just essentially disclosing that you're a Christian. Like, you likely won't even share the gospel here. So let's say that they ask you, what did you do this weekend? You could respond. I had an awesome day at my kid's game and a great dinner with some friends, an okay time at church, the sermon was a little long, and then we went to a really good brunch. You don't have to be pushy or weird. They might respond, wait, like you go to church, really? Like, why? You're so young. You don't seem religious at all. And then you can ask, well, what do you think about church or spirituality? And then you can share your story. You can share some version of, you know, I used to think life was all about X, and I gave myself to it, but it let me down. It took me to a rough place where I was burning out, anxious and alone, and here's how Jesus is transforming me now. So we can also be provocative by being confusing in a good way blow up stereotypes and misconceptions. So this can be in all sorts of different things. It can be like silly things, like you like good music and have better taste in cocktails than I do. Or politics, you have more informed political opinions than me. You aren't a blind follower of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. You're actually more open-minded than like so many of the conservative or progressive people in my life. Or happy things, you, seem, you just seem optimistic about life. I wonder why. Show them how differently you approach the big parts of your life as a follower of Jesus. And quick side note, if, if Jesus isn't impacting your lifestyle in a significant way, it's worth chatting about with a pastor or a GC leader. So 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you but yet do it with gentleness and respect. We are called to live in such a way where people are like, hey, I don't get it. I can't put you in a political box or a religious box. You live like someone wholly other than the people around me. And wholly different is right. 
When we look like our holy king as citizens of another world, we will be beautifully confusing. Way too often, Christians spend time working on the answer for a question people are simply not asking because our lives look identical to those around us. So the confuse the people around you with the life that you live. It will lead to some curiosity and interest, but curiosity is not enough. When they are interested, it's still a long way. We're about halfway to that banana scale. It's great to be provocative, but what about the other stuff? Now what do I do? At that point, you either become an evangelistic black, black, black belt ninja, or you ask for help. I don't know what to do now. They're curious, Maria, but I need some help. I can't really answer his questions about God and suffering, and what about other religions and how science and faith work together? And they're not interested in coming to the church service. Like, they'll never come. And this is why, as Restored, we're going to be starting something that Andy mentioned called Alpha. The three things you can do to introduce people to Jesus in 2022 here at Restored are be full of faith, be a provocative friend, and invite a friend to Alpha this month. So what is Alpha? So Alpha is a dinner and group conversation series centered around exploring the big questions of life, spirituality, and faith in a fun, non-judgmental, and open environment. It consists of a launch night where your friends can come and check it out before committing to the whole 11 weeks. And then each week on Sunday evenings, we share a meal together around really good food. And then watch a film that explores one question around faith and spirituality. And then, after watching the video, we discuss the topic freely and safely in a small group of like six to eight people. Then afterwards, there's an option to grab a cocktail down the street at Polite Provisions, the cocktail bar. So Alpha is, it's not the only strategy that helps people on a similar journey, but in this cultural moment, it seems to work the best that we've seen in reaching people in a post-Christian context. As people have questions, you can just send them to Alpha and have them explore it for themselves. It's for anyone from any faith background, unless you're already a Christian. So if you want a safe, non-judgmental environment to consider the claims of Jesus, then Alpha is the place that you're looking for. A friend of a friend who runs Alpha said, we have seen witches, atheists, agnostics, yoga teachers, Muslims, and people who have believed in UFO abductions all become followers of Jesus in Alpha. So Alpha is a dialogue where you can talk about what you believe without being in trouble for not having the right answer. A space to talk about the big questions in life. Jesus is commended to them for sure, but you start by talking about what they believe first. Alpha is about hospitality, listening, and friendship, and creating an environment to encounter Jesus through his people. So we create an environment for people to encounter Jesus as the answer and to rub shoulders with more Christians who are loving and welcoming and trustworthy. So one story I heard is a girl who said, you know what, I don't believe a word of it, but my boyfriend and I keep coming back because we have never had friends this loving before. People need to experience community Jesus style before they believe in Jesus. Belonging often comes before believing in our culture. So we are going to run Alpha for 11 weeks, beginning on May 1st. And the things that I love about this strategy for us are that it won't disrupt 
are services that non-Christians don't come to anyways. So we can keep expository teaching, prophetic words, passionate worship, family updates, and the rest. And we don't need to water down our gatherings to be relevant. It involves the whole church participating in evangelism in different ways. And Alpha, which is exciting, will involve all the gifts in this local church. Some of us with evangelistic, hospitality, and shepherding gifts will help be group facilitators and create dialogue. Some people with prophetic gifts and intercessory prayer gifts will be interceding and praying while the meeting is going on that God would open their hearts to the gospel. Some of us with financial means will give above and beyond to fund renting extra space and providing extra meals and workbooks so that these people won't have to pay a dime to attend. And I know that not everyone has the gift of evangelism, nor are we all called to do evangelism in the same way. We have historically like platformed extroverts who will talk to anyone and people who love debating and go, everyone needs to evangelize like this. But while we don't all have the gift of evangelism, and the way we support the work of evangelism can be communal. Kind of like spiritual warfare. It's like not everyone in the military is a Navy SEAL. Some are medics, some are nurses, some are administrators, some lobby for money, some recruit people. They all have a part to play, but it's not all the same part. But then we all get to celebrate together what Jesus does at the end of Alpha. Alpha is evangelism where everyone's gifts matter. And the last thing I love about it is that it has been proven to work in post-Christian cultures like New York City, Australia, and London, which North Park is much more like that church than those churches than a church like in Nebraska that would probably still do amazing with an altar call at an Easter service. Now, we don't want to be a church that grows because Christians like our church better than their last church. We want to be a church where people are introduced to Jesus in community and they meet him and trust him and follow him for the first time ever. And Alpha is how we are planning on doing it. We want to meet people where they are and bring them to, to encounter Jesus and let him do what he does best. So that is the main way that we plan on doing evangelism this year. So you're free to share the gospel in one-on-one -on -one settings for the record in any way that you'd like, but Alpha is what we are doing as a church strategy. And so now I'm gonna call up Andy to talk through the next steps for you guys. Um, obviously, we're here to worship Jesus, but um, I just want to honor, we're all just called to honor each other. I want to honor Maria. That was a lot of information to hit. Um, can we hit the lights real quick? Um, and so I want to set up our time. So on your seats, you've got a couple different handouts. We don't normally do handouts, but we got some. Uh, we have some uh, Easter uh, invitation flyers. And so as you hear about Alpha, you might be wondering how it kind of interacts with Easter. Because typically in America and the West, uh, oftentimes it's like, get everyone to Easter. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to hear it one time. It's like, get saved right now. Da, 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 da. And, uh, and again, we just talked to you. Like, that's, that's getting increasingly more difficult to pull off. God is still capable of doing that, by the way. There's still moments where convictional stuff works and evidence-based stuff works. But, um, but it does seem like people need more process to figure out what they believe. Uh, they want to dialogue. They want to interact and talk it through. And so um, Alpha is a great way to do that. And so where Easter interacts with Alpha is uh, as we invite, we want to invite people to Easter and then we're going to pump Alpha to say, hey, if you're interested in just asking questions about faith, uh, we'll kind of plug it and then you can also invite your friends. Um, but we're looking to see, we'd love to see 20 people uh, in Alpha. 
And so, um, and so we're, we're praying for that. We're hoping for that. Uh, again, our church, our size, I think at this point, we're like at 81 members. Um, if everyone invited three people, it's like 240 to 250 people. Um, I think there's a chance we get 10% of them to come to Alpha and, and, and explore the claims of Jesus. So again, we're looking to do it at Hardyhood, um, food, process, safety. Um, they're not told what to believe. They're just saying, hey, here's what Christians believe. What do you believe and why? Most people never do that thing. But, uh, but what I want to talk about today was specifically was uh, the idea of invitation. Uh, I, um, two weeks ago, I was at a conference in Boise, Idaho. Some of you guys know that. Uh, Press Sprinkles Theology in the Raw uh, uh, Conference. And I was, uh, we were staying, uh, me, Adam, and Royce, with the Restored LA elders, Brad Sarian and Stephen Johns. And I remember talking to Stephen Johns, and I just always forget, but Stephen Johns is married to a gal named Jamie Johns. Uh, Jamie is Scott Stroman's wife, who, you know, we sent out a few... Sorry, sister. Whoa. Sorry, same last name. You know, ja- she used to be Jamie Stroman, uh, and now she's Jamie Johns. And the way that they met was Brad was like, hey, um, meet Steven. And he went out of his way to, like, try to connect them. And, again, you don't know what's going to happen when you, like, connect your friends. It could get real weird. It could get real good. They could become friends and hate you and move on. Uh, they could get married. They could go, this is the worst person. Why would you introduce them to me? All that stuff. You don't know what's going to happen, but your job is just to, you know, you, you, whatever, you connect them. And so, so he did that thing. And now they just had their new baby boy. I was talking to Stephen about their baby. Uh, Henry, and, uh, it was just blowing my mind. And so an invitation goes a longer way than you realize. Another invitation wasn't, you know, Jamie to a, a dessert where Stephen was. Uh, another invitation, this is about 20, let me think here, about, about 18 years ago. And uh, I, um, I had a friend, his name was Ruben, and me and my friend Ruben and Sergio, uh, we'd hang out. And basically what we would do is we would smoke weed and listen to Wu-Tang uh, and uh, different orders, uh, sometimes, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then get a little paranoid, walk outside, hit 7-Eleven. You know, we, we weren't doing a whole lot with our lives. Um, but Ruben's parents had become Christians the last few years before that. And so uh, their life had been a mess before. I think the kids were trying to process. They had, they had actually changed. They were these beautiful, loving people. His dad became a drug rehab counselor. There's all this stuff going on. And they, and they were tripping. But, but Ruben would go, hey, uh, his mom would go, hey, do you guys want to go to youth group? And, and Ruben, again, Ruben not following Jesus very well, figuring it out. But he'd always go, hey, man, you want to come? And we're always like, nope, we're going to go to Sergio's house now. You go to church with your family. And there was this one week I had stuff going on in my life that I don't have time to get into. But this one week I go, yeah. I'll go. And if I'm honest, I, I went for selfish reasons. And, uh, and, and again, this guy pops up to share the gospel, and my life is transformed. I end up going, you know, with the youth pastor, Deza and I, we're talking about Jesus. We're not talking about the thing that I wanted to talk about. And it all started with an invite. Humanly speaking, this church is planted by me and Jackie, and I come to know Jesus through that guy who invited me. I don't even know what Ruben's doing today. But, but, but that link-up led to this. And so um, to just kind of demonstrate, I feel like God put this on my heart, honestly, just to demonstrate the power of an invite, I want to just open it up for like five minutes. I just want to open it up to have different people in this church just come up to share um, and honor the person who invited you to this church. Um, so, hey, the, the, you know, the person who invited me to this church is blank. Does that make sense? And so I want to um, open it up to just have you share, man, who invited you here uh, to help us think through um, who you might invite. So... I'll open it up. Hey, guys. Um, I'm Sam, and my husband and I were invited here by, I want to say maybe Adam or Royce. My husband worked for Royce. Adam worked with him. And also the Laybourns, Eric worked with Parker. Everyone, all of them. They all worked together. (laughs) Anyway, we, I was 
very pregnant, possibly exactly nine months pregnant. And my husband and I had decided we need to find a church because that's what we should be doing. (laughs) And so Parker knew these two guys that he worked with. And through the relationships that they had built, he knew that they went to church, right? Probably like, what did you do this weekend? I did this and then we went to church and then blah, blah, blah. And so when we were on the search for somewhere to go, they must have found that out. I don't know if Parker asked them or if they asked him to join them. I'm not sure, but I was not excited about that (laughs) because I was like, you really, they're going to really know us. (laughs) We can't go to that church. (laughs) And yeah, so that was eight and a half years ago. And God has really worked in our lives. So I'm one honor. Thank you guys. Good morning. My name is Bianca, and I was invited to come to Restored actually eight years ago last month uh, by my coworker, Andrew. Um, and I mean, I grew up in the church, but I'm really grateful because God has done a great work in my life and uh, in the last eight years. So my coworker invited me. morning everybody my name is William Um, about six years ago my uh, program manager at the time Gina Boyer who is one of Andy's childhood's friends um, is the wife of one of Andy's childhood's friends Um, she just talked about um, her experience because we 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 just did life together as a team and we talked about our weekends and she talked about um, a sermon she heard from Tom and was just so moved by it and just like, uh, what was it? (laughs) I'm not going to debate the facts of it. (laughs) Um, But I'm sure it was like, um, like Maria alluded to, it was a Shamat statement, like she just made reference to. And then my wife and I, unbeknownst to Gina, didn't know that we were looking at the time. We had been burnt out from going to multiple churches. And what I've gained in the six years that I've been here is just, unmatched the brotherhood the family in the sense in a way that I've been able to walk alongside Andy Jackie and have them be a part of our lives and um, a lot of the individuals that I've met throughout this time so just you know using those Shemot statements and not knowing where they can go just by sharing a part of your life Oh, did I cut someone off? <laughs> um, so my wife, Al, and I, we were dating, just uh, graduated college, and we were looking for a church. Um, she was involved with another church, and we both worked Sundays, and so it was hard to find a church that we wanted to go in the morning. I didn't want to do Sunday night worship or church, and I remember we got invited to play kickball with a few people from Restored. Um, Tom Logue was on it. Scottish Roman was on it. I think Andy was supposed to be on it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, 
they invited Allie to, uh, or there was one Sunday Allie didn't have to work, and so she was there, and they made an announcement. It was before South Bay was, um, before they went down to South Bay. So it was like the first split, or like, hey, we're going to have an 8 o'clock service. We'll have a 10 o'clock service. It's like, oh, this is perfect. I can go to church still in the morning. I can still go to my job um, before 10.30 when I had to start. And then after that, when we got connected with Tom Logan, our GC, we were like, this is our home church. We feel involved and yeah, so invited to a kickball league. <laughs> That's how, how we found out. Hey everyone, I'm Shirag. I think this is the first time I've ever spoken on this stage and it almost didn't happen, so. Um, yeah, our story was, um, you know, we had moved to San Diego from Los Angeles, I think six years ago this June, and we were church hunting, you know, we had tried a few places, and um, it wasn't quite, you know, the right fit, and then we were up at Redeemer Church in Encinitas, and I think we went like two, three times, and, you know, there are folks who are standing around offering, you know, to pray for you, and Willow's like, we should go, you never know what's going to happen. And so we go, and there were these two, like, middle-aged, nice folks who prayed for Willa and me, who were looking for a church. And after the prayer was done, they're like, where do you live? We're like, oh, North Park. They're like, oh, I think there's a church down there. It's called Restored. Go check it out. And that was it. Um, I don't think n either of them had ever been here or anything like that. But then we're like, all right, sounds good. Um, <coughs> but what I... And then, of course, we came here, and, you know, I've been going to church most of my life, and this is the only church I've ever been a member of. Um, and I think it's largely because of how welcoming, uh, it, you know, it's, it's been to us and, and to our family. So thank you to everybody here. Um, I guess the thing that I sort of reflect on about that, you know, encouragement to come here is there was a sort of a casual selflessness about it. Like, they had a church over there, and I think it's, like, pretty well-to-do or whatever, or at least it looks that way, it's a pretty fancy place, um, but they weren't interested in keeping us there. I remember about it, it was so casual, oh, you live there, it'll be good for you. And I think, um, and that was like, that spoke to me, you know, about the person being like, well, I, I suppose we can try to like keep them here and encourage them to come here, this could be your church, whatever, they're like, no, I think that's gonna be good for you. You know, there are people your age and your community and all that kind of stuff, and um, just in, in a way that's, you know, that's, I feel like what we should all want for for one another, sort of encourage folks wherever they're at in a way that's good for them. And so that thoughtfulness really stuck with me. But thank you for having us. Hey guys, my name's Eric. Um, Sam at the beginning mentioned uh, that we worked, that I worked with Parker, and yeah, God, I God has done some really amazing things in our lives at this church, and we were actually planning on moving to Northern California to be with family, which uh, there's a lot of good things about family, but I don't think we would be in a very healthy spot if we were out there, and uh, just honestly seeing uh, everything that was going on in the lives of Sam and Parker was like such a huge reason that we ended up here too. So I think just because people invited them um, and we saw what God was doing um, in them through this church, like that's how we ended up here too. So, yeah. 
Good morning. My name uh, is Felipe. And about four years ago, I'd moved back to San Diego, and she's my wife now, but me, we were engaged. And my good friend Campbell Shingle invited me uh, to Restore it. And I remember it, it was at the, the temple, and I remember walking in, and I was like, what is this place? <laughs> uh, but I remember uh, everyone was, like, really welcoming, and the message that Andy preached just, like, really resonated with me. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember leaving and talking to my wife and saying, ah, I could look past the weird uh, the venue because I really like the message. <laughs> and I just think back on like how uh, transformative the church and like the community has been uh, in my life and just like the transformation I've seen just like in the relationship with my wife, with my family and the community that has now become my second family. All right, guys, so uh, if you're new to our church, just to be clear, we go 100 minutes. That's like what we shoot for every week. If it's under that, great. Uh, we're not there yet, all right? Um, so we're going to do real quick, uh, just to set this up, there's these yellow cards. If you're a member of our church or you're a follower of Jesus and you want to, you think you want to hang with our church this next season, uh, there's these cards that have the Salt and Light logo on the back. It says, Father, it's a prayer. Who can I welcome into the abundant life of Jesus through prayer? conversation and hospitality. We'll be getting into these different aspects these next few weeks of prayer and conversation and, and hospitality, but, but who, um, just through, again, just sharing your life, welcoming people into your life is what hospitality is, talking about what's just happening in your life, and praying for them. Um, who could you invite on in? And so I want to take just um, maybe three minutes to just sit silently with these cards. Um, if you're interested in putting pen to paper, you can write on these. We do have pens. Um, I think hospitality has pens if you're interested. Yeah, in the back. If you want a pen, raise your hand. Uh, and um, we'd love to just take a second to actually think through, man, who could you invite to Easter? Who could you invite to Alpha? Or who, who at the very least could you start praying for um, to come to know Jesus and his church? So um, give you guys three minutes. Just uh, Ruth will um, play, and then we'll close here with worship in just a second. Um, just in closing, I wanted to remind us all that it really is Jesus who calls people to himself. He, for some strange reason, decides to use us, but it really is him who desires the relationship uh, with his people and with his children. And so I just want to pray that as you think about inviting different people to come and be a part of our church gathering for Easter, that you would rem remember, like, it's actually not about you. So uh, it's about what God is doing in people. Um, so don't forget to take flyers with you and also pray through the people that um, on the yellow card. So I'm going to pray for us now. Jesus, I thank you so much um, that you call us into a family with you uh, where we get to learn things that we never learned um, or learn better ways. Uh, thank you, Jesus, um, for being our perfect father and for doing all of the work that we can't do for ourselves and that we can't do for others. You're so good to us, and you love us so much. Help us this week. Um, encourage us and just speak to us, Holy Spirit. Um, and give us wisdom on who it is that you want us to, 
to uh, speak to and invite that you would give us insight um, into who you're already calling to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>